Welcome to Grace Church Podcast. This is Reverend Caroline. We hope you're blessed by today's podcast, and we pray that you're changed by today's message. Thank you for tuning in. Hi, this is Father Jonathan coming to you again with another podcast here from the Grace Podcast Studios. And uh, today I have with me the uh, ever-talented Reverend Caroline. So glad you're here, Reverend Caroline. Thank you, Father Jonathan. Glad to be here. <laughs> so today, um, this is another one, part of our uh, COVID-19 podcast series, and this was actually Reverend Caroline's idea to have a podcast about... God and suffering. God and suffering. Uh, timely, kind of a downer. Yeah, it is a bit... <laughs> Well, I was inspired because I had someone ask me from our congregation, you know, how do we think about this when we know that God loves us, but we hear about, you know, even small children suffering and how do we handle this and how do we know God is loving in the midst of this? And I thought if this person's asking this question, you can bet a lot of other folks are too. It's an important thing to talk about. Exactly right. hundred percent. So give me the, like, in your opinion, what's the Mm -hmm. base question here? I think the base question is how can we believe God is good and loving when people suffer so much? Okay, so when a um, when people are suffering, and not just from a worldwide pandemic, but I mean, you can go back to things like genocide and Holocaust. And... Well, even smaller stuff. I think a lot of folks ask these questions when someone they love dies. Right. The unexpected cancer Absolutely. diagnosis. Absolutely. Um, an injury, uh, one of those, like a random car accident. Mm-hmm. Totally mm-hmm. random, and yet either someone is uh, dead mm-hmm. or someone is permanently injured, and you're like, mm-hmm. why? Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem dying? to make any sense. Right. Where's the sense of this? Yeah. So, um, theologically, there's a word for this. What's it called? Theodicy. Theodicy. Not uh, theology and not the Odyssey, but the Odyssey. And what, what are the Odysseys in Scripture, Reverend Caroline? Uh, clarify what you mean by that story. Well, there are, okay, so the Odyssey is not mm-hmm. just a theological term of where it's God and suffering, mm-hmm. but it's also... Um, God and the problem of evil. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about yeah. here. Um, and helpfully, uh, though we won't, I don't think we're going to talk about it, much about this today, um, C.S. Lewis has written... Mm-hmm. Um, pretty majestically about this topic, actually. What has C.S. Lewis not written majestically about? Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Um, his, his stuff on the the problem of pain, mm-hmm. which is really what we're talking about. And that's today. the name of the book, so, that's the you name know, of the book, probably. write that down, folks. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. That book, I think, is one of the best intellectual, theological mm-hmm. discussions mm-hmm. of this. There are better, there are good ones out there. Lots of people have been talking about this for a mm-hmm. long time. Because this has always been a problem, right? Because of human suffering. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to go back to the very the beginning of folks and God. There's mm-hmm. this question of, okay, where are you, God, in the midst of it? Mm-hmm. So you have mm-hmm. a couple of scripture passages that you want us to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> what's the most familiar choose. story with God and pain? Probably the most familiar ones for most folks is the story of Job, which is basically an entire book of the Bible on this subject. That's exactly right. Okay, so thumbnail sketch mm-hmm. Job for us, please. Okay, so the story of Job is Job, spelled like Job, but said Job. <laughs> Job is a very godly man. He loves the Lord, and he's also a very wealthy and blessed man in many respects. Um, he is wealthy by the standards of the time. He has tons and tons of herds of different animals. He has land. Uh, he's married, and he has a bunch of kids. And uh, so he's just very blessed in many ways. This reminds me of myself. 
Absolutely. All those herds you have. My herds and my many children. All your camels. And my yes. camels and sheep and whatnot, yes. People are like me. When I read Job, I just think, that's like me. Go ahead. Oh, I hope you only think that at the yeah, beginning yeah, because yeah, yeah. Uh, right, right. what That's comes next. Point. So mm-hmm. in the beginning, it's like this great sort of, if you were like, mm-hmm. uh, if you were watching a, an episode of Lassie or a movie, <laughs> uh, you see like how good Job has it and you're like, ooh, something bad's going on. Yeah, you know it's coming, right? 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 There's a the sinister opinion. undertone. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, because it's just too good, it seems. Right. Uh, and that is kind of what happens. And in the story of Job, actually, Satan approaches God, which we don't see in that sense, anywhere else in scripture. But Satan goes into the throne room of God and says, I want to test this sermon of yours because you say he's faithful, but I have my doubts. I think it's just because you've given him so many good things. And God actually gives Satan permission to test Job. Which is shocking. It is. It is. Yeah, it's a tough thing to wrestle with. And it actually happens uh, multiple times. It's not just a single thing. It's like one layer at a time, all of Job's blessings are stripped away until finally his health itself is stripped away. And he's left covered in like open sores and like scraping himself with shards of pottery. It's, It's gross and it's Deeply distressing. Very distressing. Yeah. That's right. I mean, and so we have Job under distress as Satan is uh, persecuting him, but we also have this idea that Satan somehow gets some authority from God Mm -hmm. to go and do this, and that's a problem, Mm -hmm. problematic idea that that God is giving Satan authority to uh, afflict us. Yeah. And he's pretty clear with Satan. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't afflict him, but you cannot kill him. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't take his life. But... A lot of other life gets lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of his kids die. Yes. Spoiler alert, folks. But yeah, all of his kids die. <laughs> As I laugh at that, it's terrible. <laughs> no, I'm. I mean, I'm always like, this is. Uh, when I read that part, I'm always like, this is horrible because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of life gets lost. All the animals mm-hmm. and the herds and uh, his wife does not die. Mm-hmm. But what does she do? She gets pretty bitter. She mm-hmm. gets pretty bitter. She um, Job refuses in all of this to curse God, which is what. Satan's been saying he'll do if he takes away too much. Um, but Job's wife comes up to him and says, look, just curse God and die. You know, if you curse God, God will strike you dead is the idea she's saying. So just curse him and go ahead and end it because this is too much. Okay. It's not worth it to keep not cursing God. According so to it gets pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Job's friends come to him mm-hmm. and they try to convince him that like God is uh, not there, not present. Or God's angry at him, too. They're saying, like, look, you must have done something wrong because God wouldn't do this if you didn't deserve it. Have you heard that as a pastor? Oh, sure. Even even now in the midst of the pandemic, I've had, um, I've seen folks saying, like, well, you know, this is punishment for this or this is punishment for our ecological sins. You know, if we had taken better care of the earth, this wouldn't have happened. Wow. Yeah. You definitely hear this. Mm -hmm. Um. Wow. Okay. So mm-hmm. there's this idea of retribution. Yeah. That, that God is getting us back for mm-hmm. our evilness. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that idea? Well, I think it's a tough one to wrestle with because we do see in the Bible that God punishes um, sin at different times. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah. There you go. There's some punishment right there. Yeah. Fire from heaven. Uh, but at the same time, then you see in the Gospels where there's this blind man and Jesus' disciples assuming that sort of model for how God works say well who sinned was it this guy or his parents that made him blind and Jesus says neither of them this is not because of sin but ultimately for God's glory which then that's a whole other thing of like suffering so that God can be glorified what yeah it's it's tough 
Yeah. And uh, if you're looking that up, that's in John chapter 9, that story. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a great story, very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's interesting, it's problematic in some mm-hmm. ways, like where is God in the midst of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far back as we can trace human history, suffering has been on the table. Matter Absolutely. of fact, they, uh, most biblical scholars think that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Um, we don't know when it was written, but we, we do think it is the, the first book to have been written, mm-hmm. which is to say that suffering has been around an awful long time, and it is uh, part and parcel to the human condition, mm-hmm. that to be human means to suffer, and certainly we can trace that back to the fall, we can trace that to sin, mm-hmm. <sighs> ego, pride, um, whatever, mm-hmm. all that mess mm-hmm. that, that we wrestle with on a daily basis. Absolutely. Um... Job didn't seem to have any of those issues. Job mm-hmm. was just doing life. Um, and yet he is still stripped of all that mm-hmm. he has, all of his possessions and all of his loves. Mm-hmm. What happens? Well, so as Job's friends tried to convince Job that he must have sinned somehow for God to do this, Job says, no, no, no. And he stands firm. He knows he didn't sin for this. Um, he says, no, it wasn't me. In fact, I demand an audience with God. I want him to explain to me why this has happened. What do you think about that? It certainly seems very um, bold. Bold move to say God owes me an explanation. But I also think at the same time, that's a very human response. I mean, how often do any of us when we're suffering say, God, I want you to explain this to me. Why would you allow me to go through this if you love me? That's right. Mm -hmm. I... That... To me, that's one of the most real parts of Job is mm-hmm. when he gets to that place of like, tell me why this is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not even 100% sure it's you owe me an explanation, but I want to understand what's happening here mm-hmm. in the context of my life. Mm-hmm. You can read it in several different ways because sure. obviously we don't know sure. the, t- the tone. But there's a part of me that thinks, I, I, I want to understand what you, what's going on here. Like, what did I do to you? Kind mm-hmm. of. What, yeah. what did I do to deserve this, if anything? Because that's what everybody's telling him, is mm-hmm. he deserves this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he demands an audience with God, and God does what? God shows up. God says yes. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, he shows up as a whirlwind, is the way it's described. And God speaks out of the whirlwind to Job. But part of that that fascinates me is he doesn't give him an answer. He doesn't say, okay, here's how it is, Job. X, Y, and Z. That's why. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He he says, who do you think you are to question me? He could have said, well, you know, there was this very clever accuser. His name's Satan. And he talked me into this. He doesn't... He made some good points. <laughs> he made some good points. I, I, I myself was curious. He doesn't say that. No. Uh, he just says, you're dust. Do you realize who I am, essentially? Do you realize who I am as God? Have you ever, uh, one of the verses I memorized years ago because I just thought it was, I don't know, poetic. Uh, it was, um, you know, have you ever taken hold, um, what is it? Oh, no, I can't remember. But it's the idea of shaking the wicked out of the earth, taking the earth by its edges and shaking the wicked out of it. That's how it goes. Which, like, what an interesting image, but that that's the power of God, that God is the one who brings up the dawn, that God is the one who you know, holds the earth in that sense. So if you're Job mm-hmm. and you're hearing God say this, what do you think? Well, gosh, you know, honestly, I have trouble imagining it because just the idea of God in a whirlwind, I, I don't know if my brain can encompass that notion. Um, but I think anytime we see people encounter the glory of God in any measure in the Bible, they're completely overawed. Mm. 
And I think that's what we see with Job is he just, he realizes the magnitude of God and it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And so that concludes the the final chapter of Job, mm-hmm. Job 42. Job sort of has a response to God mm-hmm. saying, look, I don't need to explain myself mm-hmm. um, because I, I know all things, can do all things, mm-hmm. which is not the answer that we mm-hmm. want. And, and yet Job has a response to that. What is Job's response? So Job answers the Lord. And do you want me to read this? Just It's short. It's yeah, just a few verses. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's not long. Yeah, he says... And this is uh, Job 42, verses 2 through 6. I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you and you declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself, and repent in dust and ashes." Okay, how would you sum that up? So it's like Job is saying, when I had heard of you, I felt like I could ask questions or I could do this. But now that I've seen you, now that I have some real inkling of who you are, God, I just completely repent and um, I see my smallness. Almost repent of questioning, not necessarily because questioning is wrong. Because I think we see people questioning in other places, but more because... Of how small he'd seen God, if yes. that makes sense. He, I think what he's repenting of is he made God like him. Mm-hmm. He put yeah. God in his own eye. Like, yeah. like he and God are peers. Mm-hmm. Maybe God's a little bit bigger than him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he can do some special magic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not God per se. He's like, again, I, I've said this before in other mm-hmm. contexts, he's like uh, one of the Greek or Roman gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, like us, but bigger, but still flawed and does stupid things. So like the bigger kid on the playground sort Right, of thing. right. And mm-hmm. so I think he had seen God like that. And suddenly here in Job 42, mm-hmm. he's like, whoa, you're not like me at all, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. And I'm dumb for even assuming that we could have mm-hmm. this conversation, mm-hmm. which really sort of speaks to Job 41 about the graciousness that God yeah. decided to come down and just mm-hmm. tell him. To answer it all. At all, mm-hmm. right. He didn't have to. Yeah. Um, okay, so he gives Job this answer. How does that? How does Job's answer make you feel? You know, in the midst of your own suffering or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, in a sense, it's not satisfactory. That's right. Um, because we want an answer that we can get our teeth around and be like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, now I get it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also the most honest answer. I think it's the most honest answer because any answer I can get my teeth around, I can have an argument against. Or I can say, well, then God should have fixed this Mm -hmm. or something like that. But if God made everything, which is the point God's making through a lot of Job, Mm -hmm. if he made everything, if everything is his, why in the world would I think that I can wrap my mind around him? Why would I think that I could understand his ways? And so as unsatisfactory as it is on one level, on another level, I think anything satisfactory wouldn't be real. It would concern me, Mm -hmm. frankly. Yeah, it was satisfactory because that means that I can fathom God's motive mm-hmm. and God's reason. Mm-hmm. And then if I can fathom that, is he really God? Right. Because then that brings him sure back not, down. Right. That brings mm-hmm. him down to my level. Mm-hmm. I know for sure I'm not God. I'm mm-hmm. very familiar with my own limitations and inabilities. Um, and so if I can actually understand God's reasoning, there's a mm-hmm. part of that makes me think, that's a weak God. Yeah. That's a lame God. Yeah. So that, that means he's not that different than me. Mm-hmm. And yet... Job has the wisdom, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is here, understanding, maybe he just gets 
the right shot um, to say you're not like me and I need to live with that. Yeah. Okay, so how so it's an unsatisfactory answer that suffering exists and he's not like us. I mean, because we mm-hmm. want an Yeah, answer, we want answer. answer, yeah. We want like tell us why. So what do we do with this? You know, I think even in the midst of it though, I think there is hope. Okay. Um, awesome. and I think we need to look at that because I think um, the grace of God, you, you mentioned in answering Job at all, I think is a big part of it. And we do see that God cares about Job as an individual. It's not like Satan comes to him and is like, hey, I want to test this guy. And God's like, wait, who? Let me look through my files, you know. God knows exactly who. <laughs> job? Did you say job? <laughs> uh, There's a G or a J? God knows exactly who Job is. God knows. And he cares enough about Job's suffering to answer him and to appear to him in person, which to me is incredibly gracious and incredibly magnanimous of God to descend to that level to answer to Job. And I think the honest reason is, even if God had explained every single step of, well, here was my reasoning, Job couldn't have gotten it because God is God. And so it demonstrates God's care even as there isn't an answer. And I think that's the greatest comfort. And I think that's, in a sense, what we have to hold on to in this story is we have to trust God. As much as we want to have an answer, having an answer will be trusting our own minds. We have to trust God. Well, so it brings up to me two questions, actually, and one of them is an opinion mm-hmm. question. So, I mean, if you don't want to answer, it's okay. But do okay. you think Job is a real story or a metaphor? Because I've heard both taught. Mm-hmm. I, I think I lean towards metaphor specifically because what comes right after this speech that Job makes. Right, right. I hate the ending of Job. Yeah. The very, I like Job's answer, uh-huh. but what comes next really makes me unhappy. Right. And I don't think that's human nature at all. So what comes next, just so you're not confused, right, yeah, folks. Yeah. Uh, no, we're leaving yeah, Now you <laughs> got to go read it. Ah. Find it. Uh, so what comes next is that God really accepts Job's repentance. Um, he Then Job, funnily enough, has to pray on behalf of his friends because they sinned in assuming they knew how God worked. So Job has to pray for their forgiveness, and God forgives them because Job prays. Um, but then God gives Job everything back. Back, which means that, okay, his original kids are dead, but here's a bunch more yeah, new ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think that's human nature. And it blessed him with more, what it says. And I'm yeah. like, why do I want more of what I already lost? I think he had like seven or 14 kids or something at the yeah, beginning, and then it doubles. And yeah. it's like, well, I had seven, but now I have 14, so I guess it's okay. That's that's not I how we that. work with yeah. kids. No, we love them as individuals. So, what yeah. That's what mm-hmm. it's these final verses mm-hmm. that make me think it's a, it's more of a metaphor for suffering. Yeah, and I agree because I think these are um, these are perennial questions. These are questions we will always be asking. Yeah. Every human is going to ask these questions at some point in their life. I mean, unless they're brain dead. I mean, like you know, it's just sure. because it's so much a part of life. Right. We have to ask questions about suffering, and so yeah, I do think it's a metaphor. I agree with you on that, um, and it's a way of showing us how to think through this, okay. um, a way of helping us process these questions when we face them. If we were going to sum that up a little bit, just in mm-hmm. a tidy way, what would, how would we sum it up? Like, okay, God is, God gets to sit on his throne no mm-hmm. matter what we think? Um, I mean, yes, but I think it's, I think it's different from that. I, okay. I guess I would go a different direction. Um, because I do want to focus on the trust aspect, which I think is so key. So God does get to sit on his throne no matter what we think. But he is good. Mm. He is just. He is merciful. And he loves us. 
Even in the midst of suffering. Even in the midst of suffering. Maybe particularly in the midst of suffering. Maybe even, yeah, maybe especially then. Um, there's a fabulous Oswald Chamber quote that I wish I could remember off the top of my head. But the essence of it is, um, faith is the confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not see at the time. Mm. So we may not understand why God is doing, but faith means trusting in that character of God that he has revealed to us in the person of Jesus. Um, In the other ways he's shown us his love and the answers he gives us, like he answered Job or in whatever it might be. Um, So faith is that trust in him, even when we don't understand. So in the midst of suffering, in the midst of fear, Mm -hmm. in the midst of uncertainty, the answer, the sum sum that you're giving Mm -hmm. up here is that God's character is unchanged Mm -hmm. and therefore continue to trust that. Right. God doesn't delight in suffering. Mm. Scripture tells us that in a thousand ways. It's not, even when he struck down Sodom and Gomorrah, it wasn't like he's like, oh goody, now I have a chance. No, he was, he was saying this has become too much and I can't overlook this anymore. Um, God does not delight in suffering. And so when we do suffer and we know that God loves us and we know he sent Jesus, he came as Jesus to uh, to live and die and rise again for our sakes, we have to trust in that love. And I do think sometimes that means questioning. You know, if you really trust someone, then you can come to them and say, hey, I don't get this. If you, if you don't trust someone to love you, that's when you're not going to ask a question because you're like, what are they going to do to me if I ask? Um, so a leading question mm-hmm. here then. Sure. In the midst of suffering, where do you think God is? Even just from the book of Job. I think he's with us. I don't understand why suffering happens, you know, um, suffering I've heard about, suffering I've lived through. I don't understand it, but I think God is with us in it. That's certainly seems to be with Job. Mm-hmm. Even as Job suffered, God was mm-hmm. right there with him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so without getting too personal unless you want to, as you think about mm-hmm. some suffering in your own life, how have you encountered his presence? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just thinking about that as you're asking that question. Um, you know, so I think I've mentioned before in a sermon that I used to be engaged. This is a great example, of, I mean, before Robert. <laughs> this is a great example, though, of personal suffering because I think it, it was suffering when I was an adult, and so I was processing it differently. Um, and my fiancé dumped me, and it was, golly, it was a mess. Uh, <laughs> it was like a slow process of like four months. It was brutal. Um, and going through that, going through that heartbreak, there was a lot of pain. My grandmother just died. My fiancé dumped me. I just moved to a new place. All of these things. And the fascinating and I guess in some ways it felt at the time puzzling thing was I felt God's love more strongly than I had ever before in my entire life. So in the midst of this profound pain, I felt like I could just reach out and touch God. Like he was right there. And as much as, you know, I used to struggle with legalism growing up and stuff like that, I had more confidence in than I've ever had that God loved me exactly as I was. Not that he wanted me to, you know, stay the same. He wants me to grow, but that he loved me and that he had my back and that he cared Okay. Even as I suffered. You used the word puzzling. Were you puzzled at the time that he was with you, or is it upon reflection that you look back? Were you like, oh, I can't yeah. believe God's here right now, or when you look back now, you're like, it sounds like it's a reflection that you're looking back and you're like, I can't believe God was there. What it sounds like, I'm yeah. I think, in a sense, puzzling almost from a psychological standpoint. You know, I, I uh, used to be a counselor and. <laughs> Puzzling oh, this. <laughs> uh, so that's a, that's a tangent. Um, <laughs> but puzzling the sense that while I was experiencing this profound heartbreak, I was also experiencing this profound consolation, mm. this love, this incredible sense of being loved. Now, mind you, I had just been rejected by the person I thought I was going to spend my whole life with. So I should have been feeling desolate and unloved. And in a sense, I was. 
But at another level, I was feeling incredibly loved. And so puzzling in a sense that if you just looked at that psychologically, that wouldn't make any sense. Gotcha. That makes sense. I'm with you. I'm thinking for my own self, just moments of profound suffering. Um, it's when I get to the bottom of the well, the end of the rope, whatever metaphor mm-hmm. you want to use there, that I think that I realize that there really is nothing left mm-hmm. for me but God himself. Mm-hmm. It's in all the other places before I get to that place of mm-hmm. absolute suffering that I think, well, I can try this. Mm-hmm. I can do this. I can mm-hmm. talk to so-and-so. I can still... Mm-hmm. M- I can do something and do make it something, better. something, right? Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. When you get to that end mm-hmm. place, you're like, okay, well, is it just you or not? Yeah. I do think I want to jump in and add, um, obviously your experience is your experience. So I'm not going to like try and correct you on that. I think for some folks, when they're in the midst of certain types of suffering, they don't feel the presence of God. So it's mm-hmm. not that this always happens that sure. way. Sure. Um, I can say I went through a period where I was um, clinically depressed because of the medication I was on, but I didn't realize it was because of the medication. So I kept taking it. I kept being depressed. And it was like that was a cutoff from God. And that was a profound suffering of a different sort because where I had suffered previously from this heartbreak but felt God's presence, here I was suffering. I didn't know why, and I couldn't feel God's presence. And so... What was that like? (laughs) Brutal. (laughs) I don't encourage it. Uh, It was... (laughs) It was... uh, It was brutal. It was like being in a whole different way picked apart. Okay. bit by bit and taken down to that base level of, you know, and, and the questions that I were asked that I was asking were questions of God. So I wasn't asking questions of, you know, I mean, I was asking like, why do I feel this way? Um, but it wasn't like, Oh, how deeply I resent my parents for this or something like that. No, I mean, you know, you're wrestling through, why do I feel this way? Is it something from my child or whatever? But the questions I was ultimately asking are God, where are you? And why is this happening? A lot like Job, I suppose. Sure. Um, and so the, the consolation there, there was a lot of wrestling, um, but the consolation wasn't in that moment. It came when I started to get better, and I'm still asking those questions. because like, okay, God, I'm getting better now, but why weren't you there for me? Mm-hmm. And that's when I encountered God's presence. It was like um, the neurochemical level, I hadn't been able to, which sounds bizarre, but I hadn't been able to connect with God. Like, and somehow in that neurochemical depression, I hadn't been able to. Um, but coming out of that, still asking those questions, God was there and was answering. And that's where I saw that he'd been with me all along. I just couldn't feel it. So I suspect there may be some folks who listen to this who are in that sort of place for whatever reason. And they may say, okay, I'm asking all these questions. I don't feel God. I say, keep asking the questions, keep risk, keep reaching, keep wrestling. Um, I had someone challenge me one time. I said, I've been wrestling with God. Like, Oh, don't say that. Why? Why don't say that? I think we have to wrestle with God in those moments. We actually see that biblically. Jacob wrestled with God. Mm. Um, But we have to wrestle with God because otherwise we either accept platitudes and eventually they fall short and we give up. Right. um, Or I think we go numb. I think it's why platitudes, like when when there's a death, we see people Mm -hmm. say, oh, well, God needed them. God Mm -hmm. took them. God... Mm-hmm. Uh, want another flower in his garden or another mm-hmm. dancer. Oh, gosh, yeah. And that's where those platitudes come in because mm-hmm. they're trying to wrap their mind around, mm-hmm. trying to get away from the suffering or wrap their mind around what is unexplainable. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll just add from my own life, I, mm-hmm. I can't think of a time where I've actually felt separated as you describe it, like from God himself. I can remember many, many times being angry at God. Mm-hmm. 
out of this suffering. So mm-hmm. um, many years ago, we had a deacon here named Deacon Mike, and when he died, um, quite suddenly, mm-hmm. he had MS and was declining, but then his death came quite, quite suddenly, and it was completely unexpected. And I remember being home that night uh, and being really angry um, at God. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I felt like he was somehow involved in mm-hmm. that death. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until much later that I realized that God is as against death as anybody, mm-hmm. perhaps more than anybody, mm-hmm. because he provided the solution to death. That right. is, he provided the, the antidote mm-hmm. um, in yeah. salvation. And so, um, but that I, in the moment when Mike died, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I was just super angry. I was like, why did you do this? And I, I just wanted, and what I guess is amazing to me is how, when, I don't know if it's amazing, I don't know what it is. But God was unfazed by my anger. Yeah. He was okay with it. Yeah. Um, he didn't stop loving me. He didn't... Mm-hmm. But he also didn't feel the need to tell me. Mm-hmm. He like, well, let me explain to you what happened here, Jonathan. Yeah. He didn't. It just, my anger just was angry. Because mm-hmm. I just felt like this was wrong. Um, because it wasn't my time. Mm-hmm. I wanted Mike to die when I was ready. Mm-hmm. Um, when I felt good about it. And this is, of course, the, mm-hmm. the suffering of the unexpected death. When and that can be true for animals. Oh sure. I mean anything that you lose unexpectedly has this sudden trauma mm-hmm. that uh, emotionally it makes us lash out, mm-hmm. um, either in anger or in sadness, grief, remorse, mm-hmm. sometimes pity, mm-hmm. uh, self pity, yeah, I mean, all kinds of stuff. All sorts of ways. Yeah, the the ways that we can try to wrestle with our own emotions are limitless. It seems <laughs> my go-to yeah. is anger. I'm really good at being angry. Uh, I'm very familiar with that emotion. And so as soon as something unexpected happens to me, that's where I go. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've been very grateful over the years that God uh, is very patient in my mm-hmm. anger. Because if he took me at my word in those mm-hmm. times of anger, I don't know if we would still be friends. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, if the roles were reversed, I don't think I'd be friends with him. <laughs> How about that? Like, you know, if I was in his shoes, I'd be like, yeah, you're you're kind of a chump. Uh, I'm leaving you. Uh, and he doesn't. Yeah. Which is that, I mean, I don't know if that's my Jovian moment, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. You know, it is for me. well, you do know this, but I'm going to share anyways uh, for those folks who might not. There is this word in the Old Testament um, that's. It's in the Hebrew. It's often translated into English as things like loving kindness, God's loving kindness. Um, another translation is sometimes God's steadfast love. And the word um, in Hebrew is hesed, and um, probably pronouncing that wrong. Forgive me, all you Hebrew scholars. Uh, but the idea there, that loving kindness, that steadfast love, I think that's what we see in that. Because that that continuation of love in spite of those times where we throw our tantrums about something um, that we don't understand um, that's where it's one of the ways we see that God's love for us play out, that steadfast love that continues in spite of what we may say or do or any of that. So even in the midst of suffering, mm-hmm. if we could at, at a minimum try to remember it, there's a steadfastness. Yeah, to that love. That could help mm-hmm. us. And I do think that helps right now because some folks are facing immediate challenges because of this pandemic. Yeah. Um, there are people in our congregation who've lost jobs. And that's tough to have it out of the blue where it's not because of anything you did or anything but because of completely uncontrollable circumstances oh my gosh that's tough um 
Or, you know, there are folks who may have lost loved ones or be afraid of losing loved ones even, or just the overwhelmingness of hearing news about a pandemic all the time naturally is going to make us ask some of these questions to face the suffering. And I think there's a lot of emotions folks may be going through. Uh, Anger, like you mentioned, sadness, self-blame, maybe I should have done this differently or that differently. Um, I mean, it's almost an endless list of possibilities. And to hold on to that steadfast love of God. I love that. Mm-hmm. So where are some good ways to wrap this up in Scripture? I know there's another passage of Scripture yeah. you wanted to take us to. So I think the ultimate answer to suffering is, of course, when Jesus comes back and all suffering's ended. And we see that in Revelation 21. So if you want to go to the book of Revelation, if you have your Bible out, folks, uh, book of Revelation is the very last book in the Bible. So it should be easy to find. find. Yep. And then chapter 21 is the second to last chapter. So Revelation 21. And what we see in Revelation 21 is um, what things will look like after Jesus comes back. So what verse are you looking at? I'm looking especially here, um, really starting with with verse 3 and going through, I mean, verse 4, you could go longer, but just those two verses especially. Want me to read it? Sure, I'd love that. Okay. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And I think that's the ultimate answer. There is suffering right now, and we don't understand why, but there won't always be suffering. God is bringing it to an end. Can you actually imagine that? Because I struggle with that. I mean, when I think about yeah. what would a world without suffering be like, because mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's in the suffering that we find ourselves, that we find challenges. and We find meaning, too, in right? some ways. Mm-hmm. So to have that gone, what does that actually look like? I have no earthly idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I have no idea. It's the New Jerusalem here in chapter yeah. 1. I mean, these are the very verses we read in the funeral office, mm-hmm. in the burial yeah. office, rather. And, um, yeah, it's exactly for that reason. Because even when we read them at every funeral, mm-hmm. I think to myself, I wonder what that is. Yeah. I, I just don't understand that because suffering mm-hmm. is such a normative part of my life. I think the closest I get, in a sense, is when I have those really joy-filled moments. Mm-hmm. And then I can think, okay... Eternity is going to be this, just ongoing. Mm. Um, And I don't think as fallen humans we could function in that. I think it's going to have to be as resurrected humans that that could make sense. Because, strangely enough, we get used to joy even. You know, as as we are right now, we get used to joy. um, And things become stale. But the newness and the joy and the wonder that you have in those moments, if you could continue that. I think that's the closest I can get to understanding it. Maybe it's like this. So I'll, I'll, I'll maybe this. I'll ask you this in the form of a question. When the pandemic is done, mm-hmm. what's the first thing you want to go do? I think I want to get together with loved ones I haven't been able to see. My sister has um, um, an Im- immune suppression medica- medication she has to take. So I haven't been able to hug my older sister since all of this started. Mm-hmm. I've seen her from like a distance, but I haven't been able to hug her. So I think... I want to give my sister a giant hug and then like sit on the couch together and watch movies and eat popcorn or something. You know, just be together. together. That's what I want to do. And that would be something like we're seeing here in Revelation mm-hmm. 21, that joy of connectedness. Mm-hmm. 
that is uh, ongoing because it's what we want, and mm-hmm. it, it now suffering is devoid of mm-hmm. its power. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> I told the family that I think I want to just go to Disney. <laughs> I don't even like Disney that much, honestly. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But I just want to go to a place that we can just be free for a day. Yeah. And I actually don't care what it would cost. <laughs> I, I really don't. I'd be like, I, it's worth know, it. Yeah, uh, just to be together yeah. outside. Or mm-hmm. um, I told you before we started the podcast, I you know, I moved some stuff out of my house mm-hmm. on my hiking stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, touching it, smelling it, hanging it back up in the new mm-hmm. storage unit, it made me think, oh, I'm created for this. Yeah. And I think that was another thing that I thought. I will say my second answer would be traveling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my 30th birthday is actually in August this year. Mm-hmm. And Robert... As opposed to other years, you mean? As opposed to other years. You know, some years it's in September. <laughs> One year's November, that was weird. <laughs> that was bizarre. <laughs> There's all that coming. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's, it's in, in... My 30th is this year, I should say, and it happens yes. to be in August. Um, and... Robert the other day was like, you know, if all of this is over by the time your birthday comes around, mm. let's just like go to Europe or something. Yeah. Let's just travel. Let's just, and I think that like the freedom sort of great. thing, and yeah, to celebrate and to see new things and all of that. We had these tickets to Europe for the summer. We had to cancel them. Oh, I felt so and bad for you guys. It was um, we did it last week, and because we were just holding on, holding yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. It's not suffering of any kind, to be honest. Um, but I, to cancel them, it was mm-hmm. a, a loss. But yeah. I love what we see here in, in the New Jerusalem mm-hmm. in Revelation 21 because I think it's that kind of joy that we will experience to get to go back to places mm-hmm. when, when church is full again and we can be there without yep. hesitation. I think there will be a joy that we're seeing right here mm-hmm. in these two verses that mm-hmm. I think we'll get to experience in many, many ways. Here's a silly example, but when I was a boy, uh, we moved a lot. Mm-hmm. And when we moved, the movers would come in and pack up all of our stuff and then we go to some some uh, other city and we'd live in a hotel for mm-hmm. three to six mm-hmm. months and then eventually we'd buy a house and then movers would bring all of our stuff back and I remember unpacking all those boxes mm-hmm. and having such yeah. joy at what was already mine mm-hmm. I loved my stuff it wasn't great it was just mine but and you I really missed it yeah. I loved mm-hmm. right? I missed my stuff and I, I have that mm-hmm. same sense of Revelation 21 being the same thing of like oh look this is how it's supposed to be and we're all back mm-hmm. together yeah um, and I think that there'll be a, a, a glimpse of that at mm-hmm. the end of this pandemic mm-hmm. of, yeah. hey, this is what we're supposed to be again. And I think the worshiping together, you know, we've talked about how, um, being together in church, how we miss, you know, seeing folks in the pews and hugging folks as they leave the church and just all of that. There is this absence there and you feel that absence, yeah. you know, even as we're up there worshiping, it's not the same. And so to have that worshiping all together and have God right there visible. Wow. Amen. Yeah. It is helpful for whatever it's worth for me to think that as I look at the cameras that when we're doing services, I, I think of the people on the other side of those mm-hmm. cameras and mm-hmm. that helps me a great deal. Yeah. But it's not the same. Yeah. It's just not. I mean, I'm grateful that we can do this, but it's not the same. Yeah. All right. So now we've solved it. The Odyssey. All your answers Check. you ever have. <laughs> you know, there you go. I wish. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad you brought this topic up. Any final yeah. words? Oh, gosh. Um... No, but I don't think I have anything like groundbreaking or anything. I just, I think clinging to the steadfast love of God is the only answer that works. Yeah, and looking for the joy. Looking, looking for the for joy. The joy. Mm-hmm. And when, Absolutely. When the, and when the joy comes, celebrate it, enjoy mm-hmm. it. For sure. Rejoice it. You know, I, I love your, your story with your sister. That's beautiful. 
yeah. and stuff. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, if, uh, if this podcast has been helpful for you, please, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to email us. Uh, Reverend Caroline, what's your email? Caroline at graceocala.org. And mine is Jonathan at graceocala.org. So we'd love to hear from you, but feel free to keep reaching out to us on all the different platforms. Any way that we can help you, we want to, and we're praying for you guys. Love you. Love you. Thanks for listening. For more exclusive Grace Church content, subscribe to this podcast and stay up to date on our website for new postings. God bless.